episode 45. Welcome. We're back. It's the needle and the mouse. It's our semi-annual episode. <laughs> I think this uh, this is a, a better, much better cadence. We're doing it every four months now instead of every twelve. Yeah, yeah, we did one this year, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly when, but we did one. Great. Uh, we'll do more. It's a little tricky. We're on the road and yeah, a little lazy. But to remind everyone. Who's joining us for the first time, <laughs> all three of you, I'm Dan Fromer. I'm Lauren Sherman. And we talk about the technology of fashion and the fashion of technology. We and, do. And we've been doing this for, what, four years? <laughs> yeah. Maybe five. Uh, we tape annually on Black Friday and uh, the day before Christmas. Yeah. And here we are on Sunday, the 17th of September. I think we typically do one during this time because we have both have news. Yeah. So it makes it easier to, to get one done. I just noticed that the air conditioner went back on after you turned it off. Yeah. I don't really get why it does that. Well, anyway. It always does that, though. It's like the last. I don't. It's. You it needs to get one. Bullshit? Maybe. But, or maybe it's. It needs to get one more. One more gasp? Yeah. It's like a last gasp type thing. Central air, man. Who knows? Someday we'll have a nest, maybe, but not right now. Maybe. Right now we have the world's cheapest thermostat. Uh, second, che- World's second cheapest thermostat. Uh, all right. Well, this is, one. I would say the reason that we are doing the show today is that we have three really interesting topics that all happened this week. Yeah. Um, which one should we start with? Let's let's talk about the one we're most passionate about, which is not something that we actually write about or work on day to day. Great. Let's talk about Blue Bottle Coffee. Yeah. Which was acquired this past week by Nestle for something like $700 million, mm-hmm. which, you know, the headline was Nestle is investing in high-end coffee. Mm-hmm. To me, the takeaway is Blue Bottle completely failed in its attempt to be the next Starbucks, which is a $80 billion company. Yeah. Um, so ne- Nestle, does, do they own that? What's that high-end European, those weird cafes? Oh, um, do they own that? What's that called? Is yeah, it called Nescafe? Uh, yeah, Nescafe, Nespresso. Nespresso. Is that them? I, yeah. That's interesting. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, so a lot like, yes, yeah, $700 million is a lot of money. How much did they raise? Founded, I don't know, but I'm going to guess between one and 200. Yeah, that's so what I think it is. It, it's, it was not a terrible outcome. Um, and if you look at, uh, another comparable, which I think is Shake Shack, which I think has more store. I don't know how many stores Blue Bottle has, but I'm going to make up like 30, 25, mm-hmm. 30. Does that sound plausible? Yeah. Something like that. Um, I think Shake Shack has a lot more than that at yeah. this point. And Shake Shack is now worth, I think, a billion and a half, but its stock is down quite a bit since it went public. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to pretend I'm an expert on any of this. I would say, yes, disclaimer, we're making this all up. We don't know what we're talking about. We're not uh, coffee retail analysts, but Yeah, me, but retail is retail, and we yeah. both know a lot about how retail works. So Yeah, to me, like, yes, I'm sure the founder is going to make some money on this, and, like, the early 
tech investors who bought in thinking they were buying into the next Starbucks or the next Shake Shack. Like some of them will actually make some money too. But if the goal was to build something on the scale of a Starbucks um, or ideally like whatever would replace Starbucks, I think they completely failed. So have we looked into at all why they sold now? This is a... (laughs) We no. should probably do that. <laughs> no, we did not. This is our this is our podcast. Hold on for one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna get my phone. We're gonna see. pause ten seconds for station ID. Um, no, my guess is that they went out. Here's my guess, and you're gonna find out. My guess is they went out to raise more money, and they probably sought after, They probably were looking to raise two hundred million dollars to set up their next fifty stores or something like that, and try to go really mass. Um, and Nestle said, oh, we're not going to invest, but we'll buy it or something like that. I don't think they bought all of it. I think they just bought a majority share. Um, okay. So apparently. Lauren has been doing research. While apparently, according to the San up. Francisco Chronicle, maybe this is old. It says that Nestle pay, reportedly paid as much as $500 million for 68% of Blue Bottle. Yeah, which I think is where that $700 million Valuation okay. came from. So they still own. They still own some. So that's there's, a there's good some amount. This is kind it could of potentially this is a, this is very similar to what happens in fashion. So like someone will will not will buy a majority stake, but not the whole thing, so that the yeah. founder still has some semblance or of control. Some of the, maybe a board seat. Some of the early shareholders do. Yeah. If, if not the founder, I'm sure. Well, I would assume that the founder. So, but you can also see from the history of Blue Bottle, there's definitely been some missteps. Like they, that whole thing where they bought, you know, if you look at what Starbucks has done, they've done a lot of stuff. They've gone hardcore digital that, for marketing and for, for payments and for uh, this loyalty program, which is trying to get you to basically visit the store every day. They've moved a lot of effort into food, everything from those breakfast sandwiches to they're testing new lunches and dinners and that kind of stuff. Um, and they moved into grocery stuff and blue bottle. They tried to make the, actually the, the, one of the first blue bottles, the one at mint Plaza in San Francisco has great food, but that was totally unscalable. Like that was slow, very manual, uh, breakfast. Like my favorite was that polenta with the sausage and eggs. That was so good with that salad. Um, but they bought. Do they buy Tartine Bakery or like they? They had some deal with them and it and it fell through. Yeah, it never like vaporized. Yeah, they um, started to have Tartine food and Tartine. Actually, I don't know if they ever even started. They it. didn't even have the Tartine bread. I don't think they did because I saw someone tweet once like, "Your your baked goods have gone downhill since the Tartine deal." And someone wrote back, "They're like, no, we haven't started anything yet. This is still our old yeah. our old product." But if you look at their stores, like, by the way, their stores are very beautiful. They're very high end. And I'll say one thing, like they have not really, at least in my experience, the quality has not gone down. No, I don't think it has. Like they still, the, the, I'm bored with it and I don't go there as often as I would if I weren't bored with it because it is kind of a plain experience. But um, to me, it's still a coffee I like the most, I'd say. Okay. I mean, I also very much like, what is it? Sight glass. Yeah. I really like their coffee too. There, I'd say that it's still the place that I like. I like heart 
we, yeah. we like that in Portland. But I'd say that if I have a choice mm-hmm. between, I don't know, Stumptown and some local place and Blue Bottle. Some Well, like what, mom and pop local, like local hippie spot. Happy Bones or something, which mm-hmm. is right by my office. And they, they roast their own beans, which it's good. Happy but Bones does? I, th- I mean, I they, they have use, a bag. Uh, don't they they have bags that say Happy Bones. Maybe really? it's not their own beans. Last time they were still were using uh, counterculture. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. I mean, so, the, I, you know, the, I guess from a consumer, the from a customer, the execution has been pretty good. But if you are raising that kind of money, I think the expectation is that you're going to become a global dominant chain and that just hasn't materialized. Like the, the returns just are not there to probably demand another, you know, quarter billion dollars in venture capital. But for a company like Nestle, which is very happy to fund a business that is probably growing much faster than their overall coffee business. Um, and potentially, I don't know what their idea is to move into grocery. Like that was something Starbucks was talking about for a long time expanding their presence in grocery they, they finally uh capitulated and and did those keurig, keurig, keurig cups um blue bottle bought tonks which is a delivery service and they have now blueberry subscription delivery but i don't blueberry blue blue bottle i don't think that's very successful i don't i don't actually know but i don't really hear about it um and their store expansion like they're adding new stores. I Okay, I just read this huge okay, article. Okay, Lauren now knows stuff, and so, I'm just making shit up. So they have 35 stores right now, so okay. good guess. They're so $20 million dollars valuation per store, basically. Planning to open 25 more this year. Yep. Um, and basically it's saying in here, the, the, C, the founder, the CEO, Brian, is going to stay on, and then... The founder guy, James, he said that they have complete control, yada, yada. Of course, he's going to say that. He but, um, has it or, or Nestle does? No, that he has it. You know, like, quote, unquote, control. Mm. I'm sure they signed something where, or maybe he has a certain number of board seats, something to make them feel like they still have a lot of control. So the thing for Nestle is that, you know, they, they could see it as as being because their nest cafes are not resonating in they're not resonating in the in the u.s which is a no, huge it's like a sanka it's like but, oh i'm gonna go in there and drink some sanka yeah and they're not they're very euro blue bottle still has this this perception as being artisanal even as it becomes yeah. more of a chain and here it is it's still really considered the um you know, potential, the the thing that could really compete against Starbucks. And I, I, I could see that in a second. I mean, it, it just makes so much sense from a branding perspective. And it is interesting. So all these private equity firms, so there's this firm, this Germany firm called Jab, G-A-B, that also has invested in a bunch of um, luxury brands. And they actually had like a separate luxury division that they just rolled back in and now they're selling off all their luxury brands. But the thing that they're really, they have a very diverse portfolio, but they are investors in Pete's. They're the Pete's oh, coffee. The private, they also bought yeah, Stumptown. And not Stumptown Intelligentsia and Green, Green Mountain. 
I think Stumptown too. Well, maybe. But they have like a bunch of specialty food also. Uh-huh. So they're so, competing with these guys? Yeah. And so yeah. Blue Bottle exec- executives and investors say that the Nestle deal will help the company develop its technology. Basically, they were what you said about they were trying to raise more money. My guess is that they were having a really hard time scaling. And it's really hard to scale retail at any, I don't know as much about food, but it's very hard from an apparel perspective. And my guess is that they figure this is a company that is, you're, you're going, when you, when you, every talk to a fashion brand, I remember I interviewed Stuart Weitzman who eventually sold his company to coach. And he said, I want to sell it to a real company. I don't want to sell it to like, a private equity firm, or I don't want to raise a bunch of money. He wanted to sell it somewhere. So when he retires or whatever, it will be left in hands of people who know what they're doing. And I'm assuming what happened with blue bottle was either they weren't getting the terms that they wanted when they were trying to raise money. They're having trouble raising it because again, like product driven retail is hard to make money super quickly on well, especially when you have initial investors who are used to investing in technology companies like True Ventures yes. and Google Ventures who are expecting some sort of 100x return, in, and then they realize, oh, this is just a retail yeah. store. There's no tech story here whatsoever. No, and and they want it quickly. So the idea, I'm sure that was really appealing to the Blue Bottle people, is these people know what they're doing, and they can help us do everything we want to do more quickly and better from a kind of back-end logistics perspective. So Stuart Weitzman ended up selling to Coach Inc., which has subsequently also bought Kate Spade. And so the idea with that is that you get all the support of a company that actually knows how to run the kind of company you want to run. So Blue Bottle's getting the support from Nestle that already has all the, like, network global network of everything to help them on the back end with like just shipping and logistics and that stuff is the stuff that costs so much with retail and and also yeah i mean that's what is the crazy expense and also real estate i mean blue bottle opens in very cool interesting neighborhoods it's not easy to find real estate in those places even if you're you're doing a smaller a smaller place, but as they, there are so many places, uh, think about Soho, there's no, there should be a blue bottle in Soho, it drives me crazy, and the the reason I like blue bottle is because they have really good almond milk, which is this whole other weird yuppie thing about coffee culture, is that I don't want Califia Farms almond milk, even though that, I bet they just sold to private equity or something too, it, um, I don't want that kind of like generic almond milk that most of the like good quote unquote good coffee shops have. I want the stuff that tastes like homemade almond milk, which so Blue Bottle has been fastidious in always having like really delicious almond milk at their stores. And it's usually a local producer. So in on the West Coast, it's a different almond milk than what's on the East Coast, but they're both really good. And I will always go to a place that either like makes their own almond milk there, which I'm more than willing to pay a buck extra for, 
or has some like yuppie local almond milk instead of the kind of more generic stuff, which is good and that we keep in the house. But, but you know, if you're spending that much already, you want the nice stuff. So I'm really hoping that that's the one thing that doesn't change. Yeah. And I guess if you are the founders of the executives and your goal is still just to build out this business, I guess it's better to do it in, and I, Sorry, but if you sell the majority stake, like you don't have control. I don't know. No, I I, I means, totally but agree. But this is I, what I people it's tell to build themselves. It there than to not get to build it at all, or to have to do it under worse terms. Like they could have sold a minority stake to a private equity firm, but lost board control there. So yeah, they clearly every founder tells themselves that the part, the financial partner they bring on, is going to let them keep creative control. Every founder does this. Whether or not that's true, we we won't know if for years or ever. Like they might. A lot of times, this happens with beauty conglomerates. The like makeup artist or hairstylist creates this beauty thing. They sell it. They stay on for ten years as a consult, creative consultant, to just make sure the brand stays in line, and then they leave because they make a gazillion dollars. Like. These guys who founded Blue Bottle made a ton of money. They don't need a billion dollars. You know, yeah. people that start those kinds of businesses, a few hundred million dollars or a hundred million or tw- even if they only each made 20 million, which it sounds to me like they probably made quite quite a lot of money. It doesn't matter. You don't need that much more money. No one's like looking to be a billionaire. So, and also... Retail. I guess if they if they are, they're probably not starting a coffee. No, company exactly. That's the thing. And retail. The other thing is retail is. It, it just it's so cyclical, and so I know that every business is cyclical, but it's really if you are a public company and you're in retail, it's really terrible because every quarter you cannot be up every quarter forever. And and I know business can, but it's really cyclical in retail because of weather, because of an apparel retail in particular, trend-driven, all that kind of stuff. But food trends, like if, if you just look at, you really have to be able to kind of what's happening with the soda companies right now. They have to basically completely change their businesses into being water companies because or whatever, or green tea companies, because no one drinks pop. So, Do do you think the rise of Trump has had any effect on Blue Bottle's ability to raise money, or like the idea of of fancy coffee being a thing? No, I don't. I think that, I think that where Blue Bottle is raising money from I think those I think VC firms and and are warier and warier of product driven businesses. So unless there's a technology like you said, unless there's a technology component to it, like if you look at that bodega thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that name if it God, didn't that have that week. terrible name. Yeah, the fancy vending machine. I think that's I, I, and that already kind of exists in a bunch of different places. But if you could yeah, with the best I was at the airport last weekend. Yeah. And the, the Best Buy kiosk, you know, yeah. those vending machines. Yeah. Was spitting out the wrong products. Oh, that's so someone terrible. Someone bought like a battery pack and got headphones instead. That's <laughs> and idiotic. Someone else got a fire stick by accident. And I do think that that kind of thing is could be 
yeah. a good business. But it's not a new thing. Like no. vending machines are, are have been around. Yeah. Uh yeah. All right. Well, so we'll see. So I guess the jury's still out, like whether Blue Bottle could be the next Starbucks. It it maybe it could, but just not un- as I just, an independent company. And the other thing is those it, when you say that, those kinds of businesses just don't exist anymore. The world is too fragmented. And no one wants right now, I mean, 20 years from now, that might be different, but everybody wants different things. Oh, maybe so, those guys don't want to be Starbucks. So, I'm sure they don't want to be Starbucks or they would not uh, be Blue Bottle. That, I don't mean Starbucks. I mean the size of Starbucks. Like the ah. in, in apparel and food is a little different, but no one wants to be McDonald's or Starbucks or any. They don't want to be that big. You don't want to get that big. Because once yeah. you get that big, you lose, you know, a, one thing about Blue Bottle that we've talked about is, like you mentioned, the Trump thing. I mean, there is that socioeconomic element to it. It's very specific culturally. But I think design-wise, it's a pretty democratic design. I think that it could be, um, I think it could scale would it work in europe yeah definitely works in japan it definitely would work in europe i it wouldn't work i think it could even work in paris or somewhere like that i think that it not not to the extent of of starbucks maybe but i do think it blue bottle is very representative of a lifestyle that a a large group of people live and it's the same prices as Starbucks, so in that way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't. Um, yeah. But it is, it it is interesting. I just don't think that businesses are ever going to get as that big again because hmm. there's just too many options. Why would you just go to Blue Bottle? Was has there ever been a week in the last two years that you've just gone to get coffee in one place when we haven't, if you, if you, cause we drink a lot of coffee. At no, home. cause I like variety, but everybody likes variety. Yeah. Like why would you, right. That's why Starbucks is trying so hard to get this loyalty program into place where people have to go there every day, basically. But yeah. It's just it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Let's keep an eye on it. Yeah. It's fascinating. One, I, I noticed one interesting thing, which is they took out that, uh, what are those things that they had in in meat packing? Uh, siphons. They had a siphon bar in the back of the meat packing store, which they took out. Do you think know. it was just takes too long to? Yeah, I don't know if people want to sit and wait that long for. I don't think people siphon do. coffee. Ralph definitely also couldn't see it really from the street. You had to know it was there. All right, cool. Let's move along to an even bigger company, Apple. This year, Apple, uh, this week, Apple announced a bunch of new stuff at its first ever event at the Steve Jobs Theater in Cupertino at its new headquarters, which everyone calls the spaceship. Apple officially calls it Apple Park. Uh, I was there. It was awesome. The Steve Jobs Theater is a really, really incredible 2016 Johnny Ive creation. Mm -hmm. Um, It is a glass cylinder with a metallic carbon fiber roof suspended on the glass cylinder with no posts in the basement is a thousand seat theater with wide plush leather chairs powered every seat a very very expensive dolby surround sound cinematic 
screen home theater type thing. Uh, just a really and, and and probably the most dramatic hands-on area I've ever seen in an Apple event. So did you charge your phone there? I charged my. I kept my laptop plugged in. I did not charge my phone. I should have though. Nah. Um, but yeah, I was live blogging and took a lot of photos. If you want to see my photos, they're linked in the show notes and on our site. Uh, I'm proud of the photos. I took about 750 great. photos and published a few dozen. It was a really incredible uh, venue, and Apple owns it, so they're probably going to host a lot of their events there. I would say that the the big summer developer conference they have, where they have 5,000 people in the audience, they're not going to have there, obviously. But any of these media events, where it, whether it's for the new iPhone or iPads or Macs or whatever, my guess is that they'll have most, if not all, of those in on campus at the Steve Jobs Theater. Um, and they started off with a really touching tribute to Steve, uh, who died uh, six years ago next month. Um, and then they announced the new iPhone 8, the iPhone 10, the Apple Watch 3, and this new Apple TV thing that we'll skip because it doesn't matter. Um, but I do want to talk about two things. First, the Apple Watch 3, which is the first time that they've made one with cellular uh, they continue along the path of turning it into a sports, health, and medicine device. Yeah. Um, they announced a few things along that line. One of which is just some new software features that, like, if you're, if it notices an irregular heartbeat in you, it'll now alert you. Yeah. Um, and also, they are working with Stanford Medicine, I believe, on a on a clinical study of heart arrhythmia using the heart sensor, heart rate sensor in the Apple Watch, uh, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but I'd say the more practical feature for most people is now the new Apple Watch, which ships on this coming Friday, the 19th or whatever it's going to be. I don't know what now, the 20-something. Um, you will be able to uh, have cellular on your Apple Watch for the first time. So cool. until now, if you use any internet feature on your Apple Watch, it goes through your phone to the internet. Um, some stuff they later added on direct Wi-Fi access, but you're still basically tethered to a stationary or mobile device. Your Apple Watch did, was not able to be on the cellular network by itself. Now it will be able to. Uh, it, the battery won't last that long. I think you could do a phone call for about an hour and then deplete your battery. Yeah. But to me, it's a really interesting feature um, that... You know, I think is is going to be useful for streaming music when you're running, or getting text messages, or walking the dog with no cell phone, or yeah. to me even just emergencies. Like if your phone battery dies and you need to call the cops, or get an Uber, or get the hell out of wherever you are, or um, send a text message to say, "Hey, I got mugged, but I have my watch." You know, yeah. I think that uh, it will. You know, any any one little incident pays for that feature. I think it's like seventy, eighty dollars more. So yeah, um, and then you have to pay a monthly fee on top of it. But How much is the monthly fee? I think like it's twenty bucks, bucks a month. Okay. Yeah, um, and so that's like the new functionality. And then you could tell like they 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 also introduced a bunch of new bands. Um, there's a new sport loop, which is basically Velcro. Loop. Yeah. Um, I ordered us a couple of those. We'll see how they are. Yeah, I, I'm I, excited. I briefly yeah. played with one. Um, it was interesting. Uh, they really put a lot. I, I think that the watch bands have been one of the most creative things they've done because they really, 
and uh, you know, obviously they took a, a ton of inspiration from real watch bands, but yeah. some of the stuff they've done is very inventive with magnets and yeah, and other fasteners. Um, I think it's really interesting, and um, and yeah, I don't know what what's your interpretation of the new watch? Like, are, are you? I'm, I'm, I got you one, and I got me Thank one, you. so we'll see how we like them. But do you care at all about this new thing or not? Yeah, I mean. Am I going to be able to not take my phone on a run if yeah. I listen to podcasts? Podcasts are a little trickier. We're going to have to figure that one yeah. out because Apple has not built podcast support into watch OS. Yeah. Um, there are some workarounds that are not great. So I wish they would. Yeah, I don't know why they haven't. It's kind of annoying. I think for me, I like the idea of not having to carry the the watch around... I had to carry my phone when I'm running, but I don't know. I mean, especially me with a plus size phone. Yeah. Big ass, heavy thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. I like the watch a lot. I wear it every single day. I definitely feel like from a tracking perspective, I'll never not track. And we've talked about this. Like once you get used to that, that tracking of data and, and knowing how many steps you're doing a day being able to check your heart rate. I also love the fact that if I'm in a meeting and somebody, someone is actually calling me, I can just look on there. And if it's my boss, I can run out. Or if it's just a random, I can dismiss it. Yeah. Haven't missed and, a phone call in two and a half years. I used to miss them yeah. all the time. And then the other thing is if you're in a meeting and it's you're, I tend to chat, 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 chat. 10 minutes before, half an hour before I get an alert. So I can be like, I really got to go. I'll get a little ping. I'll say, oh, I really got to go. That kind of thing. It's been super helpful in that way. I really, really like it. I use it. I use it to pay for stuff constantly. Just, I like it a lot. What I will say in the last three months or so, I've started to wish that I could get a Rolex that did all that stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, and so, I think a lot of people have, especially like I I know people who have an Apple Watch who don't really wear it, who have used that as an entry level, entry level drug basically toward getting a fancy watch. Well, the thing is, I've never worn a watch. I've never been a watch person. But what this has done, and I would obviously... Excuse me, I once bought you a $20 Casio calculator watch. But I never... It was very cute. (laughs) I love it. I think we still have them. I have one somewhere. But but I've never been able to keep up with wearing a watch. And this does so much for me that I love it. But a friend of mine has... I think she has a Rolex. And I thought, oh, it's so nice. I mean, that sounds so crazy, but I am a fashion writer. And... I thought, oh, it'd be so nice. I wish that I could get a Rolex to wear or, you know, a Cartier tank watch or something just like cool classic watch to wear every day that did all the stuff that the Apple Watch did, but, and then wear my Apple Watch during sports stuff. And so I do wish that those hybrid watches that Apple was doing some of those. I know that's never going to happen and that's just not their business model, but the hybrid watches, I just did this big story on wearables and kind of the future of wearables. And the hybrid watch does seem to be, you know, something that for a lot of people is a compelling option. Um, I think, I mean, the the bigger thing is, are any of these tracking devices going to matter in five years? Because we're going to either have a chip or we're going to have glasses or something else. 
Yeah. Like it's going to move off the wrist at some point. Um, well, and I think this is the problem that the first Apple Watch was trying to solve, which is why if you go back and watch that introduction, like, it's, we should do that. It's very, they're it's, talking about fashion yeah, the whole it, time. It's, it's, it would probably feel crazy to see that now in hindsight because so much effort into the metals that were built into the stainless steel and especially the gold yeah. one that like they stopped making because no one really bought it. Although Lorraine Powell Jobs was wearing one at the That's keynote, funny. which was cool. Um, there's just so much put into fashion and luxury that like completely did not take at all. No. And, and now like there is still a high end edition watch, which is made out of ceramic, um, which I really like. Like I was very tempted to buy it. Yeah. It's, it's 1300 bucks, which is four times three or f basically three and a half, three times more than the, um, cheap sport one. Um, and it, I mean, here's the thing. It, I mean, you know, it's beautiful ceramic. It looks like basically someone painted the watch white yeah. with paint. Um, yeah, I don't think nice. it's. I don't like it. But especially if you're if you know you're going to replace it in a year or two. I yeah. think if this year, maybe if they had made them a lot thinner or something. I don't know. If there's something that was a bigger change, I may have considered it. Yeah. And I did consider it, and I went to the store and tried one on, but. I, it's just really hard for me to justify spending another thousand dollars just for, you know, essentially jewelry, knowing that it's still an Apple Watch. Yeah, it's not a nice watch. It's a, no. it's a fucking Apple Watch. Yeah, so. and I like I think that they did a good job making something very simple. Like, I I like the look of the. I mean, I don't love... It looks like you have a little computer. It's kind of like wearing it's a, a dark Casio. Watch, yeah. yeah. And, and I so, got us the, the dark gray one. Yeah, I'm excited time, for that. But I I think it's, it's totally inoffensive. And if they... I remember saying that they should just pitch it. They should sell it as it's not a personal thing. They kept selling it as this is our most personal product, blah, 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 personal. blah. Like... Aluminium. It doesn't... It's not. And not... It, the it's none of no Apple stuff is it's very utilitarian and that I appreciate and I don't mind it. Like I, if I minded it, I wouldn't wear it every day. If it was ugly, I wouldn't wear it every day. It's not ugly. It's just utilitarian. I'm getting to the point though, that I like wearing a watch because it's trained me to wear a watch. And now I'm looking at these other like very good looking watches and thinking, Oh, in my day-to-day -day wardrobe, that would make so much more sense than wearing this thing. So yeah. it's interesting, and I don't know. I think there are probably very few people who wear it as religiously as we do that are are ever going to reach this point. But so what – so actually, I don't know the answer to this. Your phone may be able to do most of your step tracking. It won't be as accurate. But that's the thing. Like, it's not as accurate. It's not as... That's the thing. It's not as accurate. And I don't... I don't it might be now. Like, we haven't looked into this in a long time. But I like being able to look at it on my wrist. Oh, well, yeah. So there you like, go. That's the, I like that I don't have to pull my phone out all the time anymore. Yeah. I really enjoy that. So, uh, can, this, can this finally push... The idea of wearing two watches? No. <laughs> Not on the same wrist. No, it's just, it's so 
Ugh. Would you wear like a ringley or something like that? No. Just to Ugh. Ugh. No. So what's the what is the solution? The solution is that Apple does what Google has done and gives its software <laughs> to Cartier and Rolex. Yeah. Okay. And that's gonna happen. It's never gonna happen. Never gonna happen. Absolutely so, never. but the thing is, at some point, the tracking device will go off of the wrist. I think. Well, so here, it maybe. Um, I know that that's one of the things they eventually want. AirPods. I don't know. Maybe not step tracking, but like AirPods are valuable to Apple not only because they're hundred and seventy dollar earbuds, but also because it's a, that's a place to put sensors very close to your body. Yeah. So no, you're not going to wear AirPods all day. So they're not going to be your step counter all the time either. Maybe they're your step counter when they're in. Maybe that augments the phone or something like that and the watch. I, I don't think you're ever going to get the benefits of an Apple Watch without an Apple Watch, though. Yeah. And they're definitely never going to license it to Rolex. Like, that's just not their business. Their business, and no. they boast that they're now the world's number one watch brand. They, of course, gave no metrics or... Uh, or numbers, but my guess is that they mean it by revenue, and I would guess that that's actually probably correct. Um, yeah, I think it's probably And that's their business model. Also. Apple makes expensive, profitable hardware with its own proprietary software and chips. Like, that is their business. Yeah. They sell you that full experience. The, the early 90s, where before Steve Jobs came back, when they were licensing Mac OS, which was called whatever it was called back then, Mac OS... System 7, I think it was System 8 maybe back then, to uh, what were the company? Power Computing and Radius and a couple others. Like Steve Jobs shut that shit down because it was a terrible, terrible, like it almost killed them. So yeah, I, I, don't, get, I don't think they're going to do that. I get that it's not going to happen. I'm just saying that that is, has become, begun to... It's an attractive idea. It, yeah, I, I get that it's not going to happen. And no, also to I, I incorporate because when I go to Japan next month and I want to find that Seiko Steve Jobs watch, like, which is funny that it was the watch he used to wear, right? Yeah, they remade the watch that he wore. Um, How I don't much kn- is it? It's not a lot. It's like less than three hundred dollars. Yeah, but I don't know what I would do with it. Yeah, I mean that's the thing because the I'm not wearing two watches. It just, I'm not, and I'm not, no. I'm also not really a big jewelry person, which is, sounds, might lucky sound me. weird. Yeah, you are lucky. Like, I don't really, <laughs> I wear earrings, but nothing, I don't really own well, much Well, so you used to jewelry. wear that, that bracelet more with your, next to your watch. Yeah. Was that offensive? No, I just got over it. Okay. I don't know. It felt like. It wasn't super comfortable and they don't look great together. At first I thought they looked good. They look good. fine. Yeah, but I don't know. I just got over it. Yeah. It doesn't feel right to me anymore. What do you think of the whole... So the the bands, I would say, like, have been individually very interesting. Do you... Like, you don't collect Apple Watch bands, though. Like, you have... No, because I... But I'm also... You seem to wear one at a time, and then... I'm also not a person who has some, like, crazy Apple iPhone cover. No. Like that, I'm not that person who has like a sparkly iPhone cover. I just you want something to. super clean. When you had that designy one from Hong Kong, 
I don't remember that. The one with the the metallic shape on the back, the wood wood grain or something. That was wood grain and mint green or something or pink. But it, yeah, that it was, was like nice. as designy as I got, which is like pretty yeah. modern. You know what but case I don't I have use? like Japanese panda stickers all over no. it, which a lot of people have, or, like a or sequins or whatever. You know what case yeah. I use? What? No case. Yeah, because yeah, I drop my phone a lot, so. <laughs> Actually, I finally dropped it for the first time, mm-hmm. and there's a little nick, but everything crazy. Works. Everything's okay. Good. Uh, all right. Well, all right. So we'll keep an eye on the new Apple Watch. We we pre-ordered, but too late, so they're back ordered for who knows how long. Am I gonna get it before I leave on my trip? I'm not sure. I'm gonna try to find one in the store before ours cool. are supposed to ship to us because. I can't imagine that demand is that strong just for this new feature, but maybe it is. Maybe this is the one that people are like, all right, I'll get this one. I do see them a lot. Like I see Apple Watch, especially in New York, especially like everyone at the, at the airport has one. Everyone when on we were in Atlanta, one. I saw a ton of them. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people wear them. I think it's quietly very, quite successful, not on the scale of the iPhone, and I don't think it ever will be. Although, so this is one of the other questions is, okay, the watch has LTE now. Can it replace my phone? Uh, and, the, and the answer is technically no, because right now you can only get service on it connected mm-hmm. to a phone plan. Okay. Um, and also, like, come on, the battery is, is small enough to fit on your arm. Like, it would be very, you would be very adventurous to try to use that as your primary mobile device yeah. right now. It does not have a web browser, barely does email. You know, you can text, but most importantly to me, there's no camera on it, things yeah. like that. Um, but if you draw the line forward, like you could definitely see how something like that became your main connectivity device and then other parts of it, like maybe your camera is built into your glasses or maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, maybe. maybe you don't have a big screen on you all the time. I don't know. Well, the thing about that is it reminds me of the iPad replacing the laptop, which has not happened. Right. But the phone has replaced the laptop for a lot of people. Maybe. I mean, I guess we are not typical people no we use our laptops a lot but also we probably use our phones for things that we would have previously have had to use our laptops that's very true email for example yeah that's very true all right uh iphone 10 yeah i'm in you're in i mean i'm no i just saw it no home button i don't know what that means there's no home button so how do you use it you gotta swipe up okay I'll, i'll handle it you'll handle it do you like the way it looks? Do you, do you remember how it looks? It looks Is that fine. weird notch on the top? You cool with that? Yeah, I don't care. All right. It's the future, right? It is the future. And then you got to, you just got to, you got to right. do Good it. Good attitude. All right. I think we're done with Apple then. Cool. Because uh, what else was there? Nothing really. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Fashion week. Yeah. What happened? It's over. New York it was Fashion fine. Week. What is there another one coming up now? London? Well, it's London right now, then Milan. Feels like I haven't heard about it at all. There's just no one there. London is kind of quiet. There was a Burberry show. There was an Armani show. It's it's the weekend. I just feel like it it it, it doesn't matter anymore. How about New York? Individual brands matter and individual shows matter, but it's like it really reminds me of, and I wrote this in that piece that I did, who listens to an album straight through? Me. 
But you're a 35-year-old. Yeah. And also, really, how many times do you do that? No, only. I only listen to full albums. That's not true. Yeah. No, it's not true. When you first... It whatever. When I'm, I'm, gonna, when I'm listening to music, this. I only listen to full albums. If I'm just putting one song on, fine. But if I'm, but if you I, do put one song on. Very rarely, okay. almost almost entirely. Well, I listen to, but I'm I don't count. You don't count. No. Generally, that's not how people are finding no, music. That's, absolutely that's not, not how. Right. And so, in this way, that is, fat the. Fashion Week was a trade conference. You went to a tent that looked like a conference tent, and you went to see fashion shows one after another. And you went to them, and if you were a buyer, you figured out what you liked, and then you went to the showroom and bought the stuff. If you were an editor, you wrote down what you liked, you either called them later and said, I want to shoot this or you you wrote something about it when the whole thing became consumer facing that filter between the show and the audience disappeared and it really made they never figured out how to make money off of consumers watching it so they never it if you go to like Singapore Fashion Week, they sell tickets and all the people sitting in the front row have bought the designer's clothes and they also paid 60 bucks or whatever for the ticket to the show. How how and why did it become a consumer? Because of the internet. It just opened, like broke it open. Instagram or Well, Instagram I think is was the blogs, the I guess, nail style. In the co- coffin. But yes, style.com started in like 2000 and they started putting these runway shows up. I mean, the small audience of people who actually want to look at that stuff they're looking at it. So it just, it made, if and they didn't figure out how to monetize it for the audience. But it kept costing more money. And, and people would see clothes that they couldn't buy. They yeah. They get all excited about stuff they, that was like out of season or, or yeah, that Yeah, and that's what a lot of people say. It's very, it's very fragmented and complicated. Individual fashion shows are still exciting and can create like if you look at I just did the story in Chanel for our our next print issue, and if you look at their kind of social media on newsstands now, right? Yes, I think so. Buy it, BOF. BOF. Um, if you look at kind of the quote unquote buzz or social media conversation around Chanel. Their fashion shows and actually their couture fashion shows, which are clothes that no one can buy, that only like, I don't know, 100,000 or 10,000 people in this whole world can afford to buy or whatever. It's like $100,000 dresses. There's probably like 50 couture customers for these. Are, these numbers are totally wrong. Don't um, quote me it's on okay. any this of this. Is, that's the point of the show. But, we make numbers up. But um, very few people. Can't very, do that like, during the week an audience at the Chanel show of customers is probably like less than 50, maybe only 20 or 10 customers there who are actually going to buy these $100,000 dresses. Those couture shows that happen in January and July, that's when the buzz or conversation around Chanel is the greatest. So if you spend a ton of money on your production and you're a really big brand, it's still super valuable. And someone like Tommy Hilfiger who's showing in London or just showed in London or is about to show in London on Tuesday. 
he, that brand now shows clothes that you can shop immediately. So they do a runway show and you can buy those clothes. And for that brand, it's valuable. Is, is the most of their kind of revenue coming from the clothes that are sold on that? No, it's coming from clo- um, shirts that are sold in boxes at Macy's or whatever. That's what where most of their money's coming from. But to sell the dream or whatever, if you put a pr- big production, it can be super worthwhile and if you execute it properly. But is the idea of having this consecutive month-long one show after another is it valuable for the for the industry for the trade? And I don't. I think the answer is probably no. Right, and the shows have probably gotten more like party like. Yeah, and they're all experiences, and some of them are amazing. I had an exhausting fashion week because I had a lot of work, and a lot of the shows that I reviewed were very late in the evening. But like from what time? If eight, eight or nine. Yeah. So that means the show doesn't really end till nine, even if it's only 20 minutes long, because it doesn't really start till 8.30. And then I have to go home. I have to eat something. I don't end up writing until I was going to bed at like one or one thirty, which for me is, is pretty late. Um, whereas, and, but the thing is I had amazing experiences. There were dinners. Rachel Comey did this whole thing where, she had a dinner at Flora Bar at the Met Brewer, and it's an incredible restaurant. It was one of the best meals I've had all year. And every after every course, part of the collection walked, so the models came out. It was incredible. Yeah. It was a wonderful, wonderful evening. I was thrilled to be there. There were only like 50 people there. You know, that's one of the things is being a reporter, like – I got to go with all these like cool people that she invited that she's friends with. So that kind of stuff, it's such a privilege to have those kinds of experiences. And, and I think she does a good job of it because the people who in the audience are people that she's a small brand. She makes like a, like a little over $6 million a year, which to a business person sounds crazy, but you know, she's been in business for 15 years and that's a, that's a nice little business. She's able to keep going and most brands aren't. Um, and so she, by doing that, she's kind of preaching the gospel to these people that she's developed relationships with. They go to the store, they buy stuff, their friends buy stuff and she has a nice little business and, and that's the way to do it. Ralph Lauren had a thing at, he has this kind of car showroom with all his antique cars upstate. We went, uh, they invited 300 people. We all went up there. Everybody's taking photos. They had a huge social media push. Um, they had food from the Polo Bar in, which is their New York City restaurant, which is amazing. And it's like going to a Ralph Lauren amusement park and so well executed and the food's really good. And, and so they had that amazing experience opening ceremony did uh they're best friends with the directors the guy the creative directors of opening ceremony are best friends with the director spike jones and he and this very famous choreographer created a dance um performance with two pretty famous actors and great music and i got to go to that these are great experiences it sounds amazing but like crazily exhausting very it's exhausting great experiences do they all need to happen during one week 
consecutively. And that's because the thing is, it there are still people I review shows. It's a great way for me to learn about how clothes are made and the process of of you know designing a collection and also to build a dialogue with the designer if I'm doing you know a business story on them in the middle of the year I have all this context of what I thought about the collection and how they created the collection do people read them and think oh you said this about this collection I want to buy this item or do buyers do that anymore I don't I just don't think that's how the world works. And so I think Are buyers still invited to these events? Yes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and it, it's it's just not the vehicle through which they're buying the clothes anymore. And you don't have I mean there were a lot I would say anecdotally there were fewer Europeans at the sh- at the New York shows this season because a lot of designers opted out who are kind of the bigger name designers they're either showing in Paris or decided not to show at all or just doing individual appointments and um you know from from my as a journalist it's really fun to be able to go to all these interesting things but it just feels almost that it doesn't all need to happen consecutively. I mean, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, my job is a little different than someone who's a fashion editor at a magazine. But if you say you are a fashion editor and you're, you own the accessories market at a big fashion magazine, your entire, for your entire career, four months of your life is spent traveling. So you're going to, you're in New York for 10 days, then you're in London for five days, then you're in Milan for five days, then you're in Paris for five days. And then when you come back to New York, you have to go through every single showroom of every single designer and see all of those clothes over again. So you've had to do that for four seasons because then they have pre-collection and maybe you don't have to travel as much on those other seasons. Maybe you don't have to go to Couture, even though it's so much nicer. But basically, four months out of your life, you can't go on have a vacation. You can't, you know, you if you have kids, you're separated from them. It's a very strange lifestyle in the way that we live now, which is much more everybody kind of operates on their own schedule. And so it just feels in a lot of ways in in many ways this fashion week for me was the best fashion week because I got to go to these incredible shows and write about them and I did a bunch of feature stories and it was wonderful but when you think about the greater what is the value of it to the industry which is really struggling it's really hard to make money on selling clothes it doesn't matter how much money you make if you I mean how how much money your clothes cost it's hard to make money on them because people have so many options that even if you're a really rich person, you, everybody, all, a lot of people at the high end are really into Gucci right now. So they're buying tons of Gucci, but then they might buy some Zara too. And then they might buy ASOS online or they might go to Everlane online or they might go to Target because they go get some milk or whatever. They stop by Target and they see a cute dress from from the new Target collection, which is well-designed. There's just a ton of options at different price points. And 
So it's really hard to make as big of a business. Like we were saying with Starbucks and Blue Bottle, you know, Ralph Lauren is a certain size business. Will there ever be that big of a business? You know, J. Crew, same thing. Like these are billion dollar businesses. Are does that really is that possible anymore for a fashion brand to get that big? Or should they be when there are so many options? Yeah. It's just the business needs to recalibrate. And I think Fashion Week is a little bit of a microscope. It it kind of offers um an insight into why it just doesn't work that way anymore. It's a lot like the music business 10 years ago or 15 years ago, and it needs to kind of shrink and rejigger to be able to grow again. Um, two more questions, and I think we're, we can wrap up. One, yeah. like, are you, is this your takeaway? Is this your opinion, or is this kind of the way a lot of people are feeling right now? Do you it's, get a sense that a lot of people have this similar point of view? It's definitely what a lot of people are feeling. I mean, I think the biggest thing is probably two years ago, the council of fashion designers of America, which is the trade organization that reps designers. So they pay a fee and then they help them with stuff. They or a year ago, they did a study with Boston consulting group about what should you do about fashion week? And the, the results were, there's no, I think my headline for my story that I did on it was there's no one size fits all. So there are some people who still show close six months ahead of time. There's some people who won't show photos of those clothes until they're on the, on the shop floor. There's some people who show clothes on the runway that you can buy immediately. There's some people that show in Los Angeles. There are some people that don't show at all and it doesn't matter. They have a huge business and there's just not And the, the conclusion was there's no right or wrong answer. Whereas before you got to a certain size, you had a presentation. You got to another side, you had a runway show. You showed wherever you produced or your collections or you, wherever you were based. None of that matters anymore because that's just not how the world works. So um, I think I might be a little bit more exhausted by it because I write about it so much. And I also see how... You've been doing this for 10 years now. Yeah, so. and I also see how how hard it is the businesses right now it's just really hard it doesn't matter even if you're one of these startups it's really hard to grow it's really hard to acquire customers and it's just there's a lot of fatigue and so while these new kind of ways of doing it are fun and exciting they don't necessarily solve all the problems so I think yeah I mean not to sound is that depressing no um so I'm curious then what what happens what do you think what what does this move us toward i think or nothing i i mean i think it probably doesn't move us towards anything until people start in until retail we're in nuclear war with north korea until the (laughs) i think until retail is retail has to almost be wiped out and start over again and I think it, it won't happen like that. Everything is so gradual. But the last year or so, I'd say, you know, the economy is really good. If you look at, they, there was just all the census stuff from 2015, which that was two years ago now. But if you look at, you know, unemployment, if you look at 
um, annual household income, all of that is great. We are not spending like it's great, especially on things like apparel. So something, I mean, one of the reasons is because we have a ton of clothes because clothes are really cheap. But the other reason is that there's, it's just the whole industry is totally fragmented. You, yes, brick and mortar needs to exist, but how? And it's just all of these things that people have been talking about for 10 years are actually happening. It's the same thing that's happening in publishing. These magazine editors are leaving and it's the same thing. Like print finally really for most publications has zero value. And so how do you, when you're used to making millions and millions and millions and sometimes billions of dollars off of something, how do you as a business say, okay, I'm going to just get really, really small for a while and lay a bunch of people off so I can rebuild. It's not that easy, you know? So how much of this still exists? Cause people are trying to please Anna Wintour. <laughs> and if she retires, is that, I don't, is that what breaks fashion week? I don't think so. I, I think Anna Wintour has more, um, um, my impression is that Anna Winter probably gets this more than most people. Not that I've talked to her about it, but right, well, but we'll I don't think that this is. She certainly has a lot of impact on how the industry works and and who does what, but this is these are macro issues that really don't have to do with fashion. This can probably be applied to the food industry. I just don't know enough about those industries. But like yeah. when we're talking about Blue Bottle, it's a very similar thing. It's like Bonobo selling to Walmart. Yeah, it's exactly like that. that. And you know what? Like Blue Bottle is in a much better situation than Bonobos. Because who True. is Bonobos's audience? I don't know. I don't either. But we right. know who Blue Bottles is. True. All right. That's been an hour, so why don't we... I hope that that wasn't too much of a... Um... No, I loved it. Okay, thank you. That was you. great. That should thank be... Thank you. That should much be of its a own rant. show. No, it was a great rant. Thanks. Uh, we'll check back on it, and we'll invite Anna Wintour on the show to debate. Yeah, should we ask her? Yeah, let's do it. She she can come over. Yeah, she'll it's come over It's not too messy here. in here. We'll cook for her. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, uh, <laughs> glad we ended on a high note. Should we talk about something we're excited about? Like, oh, we're excited about shopping or a trip we're taking or something? Yeah, why don't we talk about... Because we're still um, shopping. That's not an issue. <laughs> true. If you want to know how to save retail, just look at our bank statement. I just bought a bunch of print books. That's cool. Yeah. Now I have to read them. Yeah. <laughs> Are you um, taking any trips you're excited about this fall? Yeah, I'm going to Japan in a month. That's great. See how it goes. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll hopefully be back in less than six months. Sounds As good. always, you can find us on Twitter at uh, Lauren is at La Premidi, L-A-P-R-E-S-M-I-D-I. I am at Fromedome, F-R-O-M-E-D-O-M-E. You can email us at hello at theneedleandthemouse.com if you have questions or want to suggest a topic or something like that uh or if you want to help us peer pressure um anna wintour into coming over to do the show <laughs> uh or you can tweet us at needle and mouse and we will see it there great our theme song as always is by alan lawrence thanks alan 
Love you, Al. We'll catch you next time. Bye.